Okay, let's see what's in the mail today. Oh, this is interesting. Good afternoon. I'm a fan of your podcast. It is helping me shape my current custom furniture business while it is still in its early stages. I am currently repairing a piano bench for a co-worker currently working a full-time job while I get the business started. And I'm nearing the finish line, but I'm stumped on what I should charge for my services. I have a set hourly rate for building a piece of furniture from start to finish, but should that be the same rate as repairing a broken leg or refinishing an already existing piece of furniture? Would love to hear your thoughts on this. Thank you from Arkansas. Hi, my name is Roger Kugler. This is Working at Woodworking Podcast, episode number 90, What Should I Charge? I'm here to help you get your woodworking business up and off the ground. You've been doing woodworking for two years or 20 years, and you really like it, and you've been thinking, can I make money at this? Yes, you can. And here's a dirty little secret. You don't have to be the world's best woodworker to make money at this. Seriously, you just need to be better than the person who's bringing you the broken furniture. So let's take a dive in here and see if we can help. There are several ways to calculate this, but keep in mind the goal that both you and the customer are happy with the work and you're happy with the price. If both people are happy... You've done a good job. Now, the easy button answer to this question, just charge what you charge everybody else. If you're charging, I don't know, $60 an hour to build custom furniture, why wouldn't you charge $60 an hour to repair a piano leg? You know, the customer is getting your time and your talent. Why should it be different whether you're building the piano leg or if you're repairing a piano leg. Now, one is going to cost a lot less time-wise because you're not building the, the leg. But as far as your rate, yeah, I don't see any real problem with, with doing the the same rate. Or maybe you're not real comfortable in your repair skills. You're really good at building the furniture, but when it comes to repair, ugh, jeez. I wish there were more people in my area of repairing furniture that I could, you know, send them their way. Now, I have recommended more than once that if you're getting into woodworking, especially if you have an eye on making some money off of this, you know, professional, learn to repair Even if you're doing custom furniture, learn from other people's mistakes. When you repair a piece of furniture, you are witnessing failure of design, material, or the destructive force of a three-year-old. So learn from this. Or if you're making a hundred bucks an hour for your custom uh, furniture, Maybe only charge $50 for 
doing repairs. I used to split my rate depending on the job. I would charge far less for doing drywall repair back when I was, you know, into uh, more homeowner improvement type things versus what I would charge for building a piece of furniture, you know, custom uh, woodworking. But have you tried to find someone to come in and do a small drywall repair? Nah, uh-uh, nah. You're going to pay more for that than what it would cost to build up a piece of custom furniture. Those people just are not there anymore. So, well, you could probably make more money doing drywall than you could custom furniture. If we were absolutely perfectly honest with ourselves. Okay, so if you want to kind of go a little more in depth, like I said, that was the easy button. Um, there are several ways of doing this. We've talked about these things before. Let me reframe them a little bit. Uh, it's good to hear things from different angles. You could use market rate. What are other furniture repair places in your area charging? And this is really easy. <laughs> Yet, I know you're not going to do it. You could walk into their shop and say, Hi, I'm Furniture Repair Joe down the street. By the way, what are you charging per hour? Some people will have this displayed. And if you notice... Sometimes they'll tack on 20% if you stand there and watch them do the repair. And no, this isn't market collusion unless you all get together and agree that you're going to charge X amount per hour. If you just walk in and somebody says, I'm charging 75 an hour, okay, fine. There's no collusion there. If you don't all agree that it's going to be $75 an hour. You might want to be $85 an hour, $65 an hour, whatever. But just get an idea what other people are charging. Chances are there are no other furniture repair places around you. That's why you're getting all of this work. Now, if you're in a larger city, you have more expenses than the guy out in the country. So, yeah, you're going to probably charge more. You know, if you're in a rural area, you're not going to charge as much as the, the, the person in the big city. And again, you're not paying his taxes either. So there's benefits in the rural areas. You're going to have to adjust your prices accordingly. Now, if you really get good at this and you really build up a reputation and you find that most of your work is coming from the city, well, there's no law that says you can't bump your prices up to match the uh, the city prices if people are you bringing you the work. Also, check the other trades. What's your auto mechanic making per hour or your plumber or your electrician? Now, of course, they're going to probably have a higher hourly rate than you because they have all kinds of licensing and insurance burdens that they're paying for that, that you may not. So take that into, into account. Number two, way to set your prices could just be on your skill level. If you've been doing this for 20 years, you can probably strip and refinish a chair in, oh, I don't know, five hours. 
and you charge $60 per hour. That's a $300 job. If you've only been doing this for a couple years, well, you may need 10 hours to strip that and refinish that, that same chair, and you're charging $30 an hour. It's still a $300 job. Now, as your skills improve, pay attention to this, please. As your skills improve, your rate should increase. Let that sink in a minute. As you get better at doing your job, your rates should naturally be going up. Why? Because you have become faster and more efficient. And if you don't adjust your rates, you're going to leave a lot of money on the table. If you were making $300 on that chair or strip and refinish, when it took you 10 hours to do that, now it's only taking you 5 you're only making $150 an hour uh, for the job? How does that work? Now, you're going to put yourself into the poorhouse. So pay attention to this. Also kind of attached is your tools. If you've been using a sharpened stick to do some particular function and you suddenly have moved up to like steel that you can do the job so much faster, you need to account for that. Of course, that steel tool costs more than the sharpened stick. So factor that into your hourly rate. I think this is really important for sanding, which we may be talking about in the in the future. And of course, you can set your rates according to what I call the customer market rate. Probably not the best term. But are people beating your door down, bringing you work? Well, you might want to consider raising your prices. Word's gotten around that, you know, hey, this guy works really cheap and he does really good work. Well, that's wonderful for job security, but you may not be making the money that you could or should. Don't cut yourself short just because you're working from home, you know, in an attached garage. You have skills that people are willing to pay for. Now, if you give a quote on a particular job and you see the person visibly wincing, yeah, you might want to kind of reconsider that, especially if like everyone is visibly winching and a few people go into convulsions on the floor. Yeah, you might want to back off a little bit um, there. The market will tell you what you should be doing when it comes to, to, to pricing. Now, here's something that occasionally comes up. Socioeconomic status. It's kind of a buzzword now. So, if a person pulls into your driveway driving a Beamer, BMW, and they bring you a chair that's broken and needs repaired, are you going to charge that person more than the one who drives up in a, you know, 2001 Jeep XJ with rusted out rocker panels. Personally, no, I don't. Don't assume a person's wealth from their outward appearances. This was taught to me very succinctly and severely by a old farmer gentleman wearing bib overhauls and a rather kind of trendy, posh, 
store that I was working at decades ago. And in no uncertain terms, he informed me that he could buy and sell the store I was working at 10 times over and not even bat an eye. Lesson learned, painfully. So don't go making these assumptions. You can get yourself into so much trouble so quickly. I think maybe, who was that? Was that your grandmother that said, don't judge a book by its cover? Uh, yeah, yeah, grandmothers are smart. Another way you can do this, this would be number four, the accounting method. We've talked about this before. This can get a little complex, a little tricky. You have to break out the, the math. But basically add up all the costs associated with your shop, not the jobs, but just the shop, and divide that by the days or the hours that you worked. Now, this is a really good time to do that uh, right now as taxes are due soon. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. So just look at the expenses of running your workshop. You're going to include everything you can. A lot of times this falls into the shop supply category, you know, the sandpaper, maybe the finish, the nuts and bolts that we're, we're always buying for the shop. These things that are not getting directly charged to a job. Now, of course, if you order a thousand dollars worth of uh, hardwood, that's going into a job. You wouldn't include that into your overhead calculations, but if you have an insurance writer on your on your shop, uh, on your business, your cell phone, if that's separate from your your household, your marketing expenses, maybe you have a website, how much is that costing you per month, per year? Maybe you have someone doing the website for you. Of course, their cost is going to, to be involved. So all the things associated with your business business, your accountant who's doing your books, maybe. Perhaps if there's any, you know, legal expenses that you've, you've had over the year, add all of these things up and then divide by either how many days or if you're really good, I'm not, how many hours that you have worked. And then that will give you a rate that you would simply add your profit onto to come up with that hourly rate. Now, if this still kind of has you stumped a little bit, we have talked about this before. Go back to episode number 28, How to Price Your Work, Part 1, and episode 29, we continued into Part 2. Specifically on furniture repair, we talked about that in Furniture Repair Business, episode number 33 and 34. And relatively recently, episode number 81, we talked about increasing your profits, which deal with this. I know this is kind of the bugaboo of being in business for yourself. No one else is telling you what you need to do, what your prices should be. You got to come up with this yourself, which is a lot of the joy and agony of running your own business. 
So to our friend in Arkansas, I hope this helps. I hope this aids you in your business ventures moving forward and the very best of luck. Recommendations for this episode, Essential Craftsman, How to Charge More as a Contractor, 7 Ideas. This is a YouTube video, uh, Essential Craftsman, Scott, I've mentioned him many times before. Yes, I know that he is a like a general contractor, but a lot of what he talks about applies to a furniture repair shop, a custom furniture, a online product manufacturer. I mean, this it's, it's all basically the same business type thing. So I highly recommend you check out that link in the show notes. And I would also like to recommend and point out the woodworking shows. These are a series of woodworking shows held like in person with real people in major cities around the Midwest and East Coast. If you've never been to one, I really encourage you to check these out. There are just all kinds of stuff to see and to experience. You can talk to manufacturers directly, see what their latest offerings are. Check out their website. They have upcoming shows in Columbus, Ohio, Indianapolis, Indiana, Atlanta, Georgia, Edison, New Jersey, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, St. Louis, Missouri, Tampa, Florida, Kansas City, Missouri, and their final one in Nashville, Tennessee. I don't see any on the West Coast. In years previous, they had them also there. But it's like 14 bucks, you know, to buy your, your ticket online, uh, 16 at the door. At least that's for the Indianapolis. They may be different in different uh, cities. So, encourage you to check that out. And we come down to Miss Jobs. Um, I had a guy call me about drawer bottoms. Yeah, I know. That sounds a little weird. But he had these an old chest of drawers and all the bottoms were 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 basically kind of falling apart from his description can't do it right now and i kind of put it off till summer have him give me a call back um and i have a boy am i dumb for you Okay, I I have to admit, I've been suffering from a little bit of bandsaw envy of late. The the Grizzly tool catalog showed up, uh, as it does about every time this year, and you know, you 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 can dream, alright? And the one thing that I really don't like about my bandsaw, which app actually happens to be a Grizzly, uh fourteen inch bandsaw, I bought this thing. Oh gosh, it's been 20 years ago. Is that, and this is a cheapy model. This isn't one of the great big four, you know, models that has all the bells and whistles that, you know, you can send a tree through. Um, this is a standard kind of entry level utility 14 inch bandsaw. The thing that is really annoying is every time you change the blade, you have to take the top cover off you have to take the bottom cover off and you have to take the blade guard off and i've often dreamed 
this is where the envy comes in, of on the big bandsaw models where you like turn one knob and the entire thing opens and you can just change your blade. Wow, that would be so nice. I've got four knobs I have to unscrew. I know that's not a big thing. That's very much a first world problem. But if you have to do that two or three times a day, it just... So how can I make hinges for my hood covers so that I only have like two knobs that I have to undo? So I, I tore the thing apart the other day and I'm looking at how this is goes together and how that goes together. And then I went to the Grizzly website to see how, you know, they're doing it. And lo and behold, on their, again, entry level bandsaws, I can see that the hinges are mounted on the inside of the protective covers. Brilliant. I would not have thought of that. And I also noticed that the blade guard, the plastic blade guard that I have been taking off every time that I replace the blade, some of you know where I'm going with this. And I take that off and I have four knobs, two covers, and one blade guard. I change the blade and then I have to put everything back together, the two covers, the four knobs, and then turn and realize that I didn't put the plastic blade guard back on because I'm an idiot and so I have to take everything off again and then put the plastic blade guard on and then put everything back together turns out either I have been putting that blade guard on backwards or Grizzly has modified the design so that instead of having the blade guard cover the saw blade, if you flip the plastic thing around so that the opening is on the outside, that blade is buried like an inch and a quarter down in between these two pieces of the plastic that there is no way you could ever come in contact with it. Yet, you don't have to remove it when you remove the metal covers. Oh my gosh, this is brilliant. I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, euphoria here and sadness that I have been probably screwing this up for the last 20 years. So sometimes you just have to look at the obvious to see how badly you're really mucking it up. Special thanks to listeners in Monroe, Michigan, Chelsea, Quebec, and the one listener in Taiwan. Really appreciate it. If you'd like to support the show, you can always buy me a coffee. Links in the show notes or make a donation directly to working at woodworking.com. And if you have questions, you have some problems you'd like to work through, sign up for a coaching uh, session. And remember, in the words of the immortal Roy Underhill, don't split off more than you can hew. Happy woodworking. <laughs> <laughs>